Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. Check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. I just picture them in Judge Judy's court. Did you sign this willingly? Yes. Well, then there's no case. Get out. Yeah, no kidding. And it says for all eternity. I think you're locked into this one, sweetheart. What a dumbass. Like, I'm just, I'm going to say that right now. But seriously, what a dumbass. I'm like, Ariel, (laughs) what? For eternity? (laughs) All right, let's do this. You guys. We made it. Holy shit. We're finally here. Oh. It's the Disney Renaissance. And We're ready for a goddamn musical. A real musical. I yeah. mean, the difference. I mean, we have been talking for a long time about like how different things were in the Renaissance and how much the mermaid changed everything. But seeing it after watching all these other animated movies, I mean, goddamn. I know. And that was actually like the first thing I noticed was when we start, when the movie starts like this little flyover or whatever, because I forgot about the seagulls and the little kind of like, I don't want to say it's like a cold open, but it reminded me of Frozen with this like the real quick depths down in the depths song. The We Are Cutting Ice song. Yeah, totally. Yeah, We're Cutting Ice song. Um, It is. And they and they explain who King Triton is. It is a little cold open. Yeah. Mysterious Fathoms Blow sets up the whole like all the fishermen talking and we meet Prince Eric and Grimsby and Alfred as I (laughs) thinking of him. I love Grimsby, dude. He's so funny. Oh, this movie is really, really special. This movie set up everything that we know and love today. I mean, this is like the catalyst and there's so much good stuff here and I'm stoked to dive into it. Tell me who made this. Tell me the absolute fucking dream team. Perfect storm of humans that made this movie. Yeah. Tell me about them. Bro, the dream team. By the way, guys, again, if you hadn't seen the title of the episode that you're fucking watching right now, this is The Little Mermaid, Disney's uh save your film i know we say that every disney movie but the problem is it's freaking true uh written and directed by john musker and ron clemens who are absolutely national treasures and i fully agree with Lindsay. we're in america but they should be knighted uh exceptions should be made. thousand percent should be made (laughs) um they both did work on mouse detective and black cauldron uh but it was the addition of alan mankin and howard ashman that created game-changing disney magic um Mankin would go on to be like one of the greatest things Disney's ever done. Uh mm-hmm. Mankin has the official credit for the score, but Howard Ashman did the lyrics and has writing and producing credits as well. Uh he leaves a huge legacy that we will absolutely discuss. Um as far as the film itself, we enjoy the voice talents of Jody Benson as Ariel, Kenneth Mars as King Triton, Pat Carroll as Ursula, and Christopher Daniel Barnes as Prince Eric. 
Um, but to close this out, um, these are all names that we will see over and over again, and they do define the height of Disney. Musker and Clemens even did Moana, which I actually didn't know until just now. Oh, yeah. There's a reason Moana is so good. It's it's Musker, Clemens, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, because they, they pair with him, whereas for Mermaid, they pair with Ashman. They're with Miranda in... Uh, in Moana, and they're coming back for the live action mermaid. Like this is gonna be. Are they like, really? Uh, fuck yeah, oh, dude. Let's fuck go. Yeah, they are. Um, I want you guys to know that normally, and I'm not trying to throw Lindsay under the bus right now. I just think this is really fucking funny. I am the one that normally writes the plots of these movies so that we can like remind you what's going on. I'm gonna let Lindsay read the dissertation that she wrote <laughs> on this fucking plot because I it is perfect in every single way and i would not change a thing i love the little mermaid so <laughs> frustrated with his daughter's flightiness and forbidden interest in the human world and irate to find that she's in love with a human king triton takes his bad cop discipline too far and drives ariel right into the manipulative scheming of the sea witch herself ursula ariel however finally has her chance to be part of that world and she's not throwing away her shot she succeeds in getting the prince to fall in love with her, but is there any winning in Ursula's game, or is it rigged from the start? Will Triton learn to accept and lend a hand, or is this teenager on her own? Can true love overcome paperwork in under-the-sea contract court? All this, and more to come in the totally insane third act of this movie. True story. Also, no, yeah, to the timeline. Woo! So, again, it's the last time we're going to be here, 1989. Mm-hmm. I do think your historical context is probably the best of all of them. Oh, yeah, because some shit went down in 89, but primarily Hollywood Studios opens at Disney World, which is the best park at Disney World. Um, Taylor Swift was born. Obviously, this is important. That's it. I, I, did, I marked it on my calendar. Yeah. 1989, as we know from the album. The Game Boy, Game Boy is also born, and Madonna's Like a Prayer debuts. So it's an, ex- an exciting year all around. Um, we've talked a lot about the Oscars in this year, but for Mermaid, in the 1990 Oscars, it won for Best Musical. I'm sorry, for Best Music, Original Score, and Original Song for Under the Sea. And Kiss the Girl was also nominated. Um, Wait, hold on. They both, the same movie? Yeah, so they like won you got for nominated original- for two? Well, so it got it one original score because there's a couple best music categories, right? So it right. got original score, it wins. That's like the overall score of the movie. And then it got nominated for original song for both Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl, but Under the Sea won. So yeah, it had two nominations in there. Oh, You're Disney had it locked. Right. They did have it locked. Um, they had the same situation in the Grammys this year, which is the first time we've seen this come up, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's how fucking good this movie is. Um, they won best song written specifically for a motion picture or television for Under the Sea, but Kiss the Girl was also nominated. Um, and they were nominated and won a bunch of other awards, but these are kind of the the ones that are worth mentioning here. So we already know the Batman <clears throat> was the top grosser after I had checked all my stuff. Um, but this one did make about $84 million domestic during its original run, which for Disney at the time 
Because remember, they were like floundering. No pun intended, but full pun intended. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it was pretty huge. Um, it's now made around $235 million in its box office lifetime. You guys, we're fucking, we're back with Disney Plus warnings too. Yep. And I, I actually, like, if I, I, this was a blink and you'll miss it uh, warning. But it is for tobacco. In the parks, Ariel's all over. She can be found in Ariel's Grotto in Florida, where you can go hang with her, which is very exciting. There is also one in Anaheim. She does hang out. Is there? Thank you. I didn't know whether there was one in Anaheim. Um, Mm. She appears in human form at a few of the different restaurants that do meals with the characters, so you can see Ariel there. Under the Sea Journey of the Little Mermaid is the ride in the Magic Kingdom in Florida. In California, it's called Little Mermaid Ariel's Undersea Adventure. Yeah, it's one of those little sit and basically walk through the movie. Yeah, thing. story walk through yeah. rides, right? Well, and some of the best rides in the Magic Kingdom are. We talked about Peter Pan. You yeah, know, Peter it feels Pan. is kind of, honestly, it didn't open in Florida until much later when i was older so it's not one that i have a lot of like when i was a kid i loved this ride yeah it was it didn't exist in florida at the time so i'm kind of ambivalent to the ride but um there are also the shows which were there when i was younger um voyage of the little mermaid in hollywood studios and there's a show in anaheim as well i'm pretty sure yeah um the really hot shit on the little mermaid are the the sequels and remakes so we know first of all and and i'm actually going to talk about this way less than i normally do for these fairy tale adaptations but there is of course the original hans christian anderson little mermaid but then we have the the aforementioned tv show that ran from 1992 to 1994 on the disney channel that was lit i actually remember that show my sister loved that show me too baby i love I'm like, Ariel, you belong under the sea. I like seeing her as a mermaid. I like all this I know. mermaid stuff is my favorite. Uh, then we got Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea from 2000. Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning from 2008. And best believe I watched all of these things in anticipation of this Absolutely. episode, obviously. Um, and there's the upcoming live action remake that's coming in May 2023. So everybody gets stoked. And we're going to talk about that in the rumor requirement. To the movie? To the movie. <clears throat> so, because it has been a hot minute since we've been here, you guys, we do need to kind of break down where we are as far as the ages of Disney. Um, because as we continue to remind you, this is the coming of the Renaissance and this was not only necessary, but intrinsically vital to the success of Disney's, you know, anything that they wanted to do from here on out. So it's important to kind of follow where we, how, like how we got here. So we began with the golden age, which took us from snow white to Bambi. Uh, and then we got into more of like the wartime era, which was a lot of uh, shorts that we really didn't cover. I think the most notable was Wind in the Willows. Uh, but then we get into the Silver Age, which took us from Cinderella all the way to Jungle Book. And then we got the Dark Ages. And uh, that took us from the Aristocats. You guys remember when we covered that? To Oliver and Company, my favorite movie ever. Yay. And here we are, the Renaissance, which takes Thank us from The Little Mermaid to Mulan. Yeah, and then after that, I think we'll talk about those other ones as we get into them, because then the Disney ages become 
Pixar comes on the scene, every there's yeah. gonna be a whole other conversation. I mean, we we could very well do an episode on its own just to talk about the transition into Pixar and what the Disney pick like the history of Disney and Pixar yeah. is could be its own episode. Like maybe that's a Patreon that. thirty minute yeah. when we get to like the two thousands. So that's a whole separate kind of shit show. But here we are in the Renaissance, and it's all of our favorite. I I know that you know most of us are millennials and kind of this was our bread and butter and we grew up with this and like this was the first movie that i saw in theaters was the little mermaid was it really that's awesome Mm -hmm. i was only two so i obviously don't like remember it but my parents you know and i'm sure i had to get taken out to cry or whatever but it is yeah it is family canon that this is the first movie i saw (laughs) in theaters and like love me some little mermaid um and this really like it this era of disney defined our generation oh yeah absolutely we had musker and clemens in a few movies before right that like just weren't very good i mean we right. love, love you the great like, mouse detective like but you yeah. know what i mean right like it's not the same and it's not even close to being in the same league as this right. movie and when they threw in mankin and ashman into this it was like that combination the four of them working on this movie and like being given creative freedom to make this Mm -hmm. movie them plus Lasseter later with Pixar right like I don't again I don't discount what happened there that's what makes Disney the juggernaut that it is like everything cascades from there like all the way down to and even though I know we hate the remakes like the current state of Star Wars like Baby Yoda is thanks to Mank and Mm -hmm. Ashman Musker and Clemens I think I think I think you can't overstate how important their involvement was in creating an entirely different scope of Disney movies. Yeah. Just building it, just really taking what worked from prior uh, formulas and movies and putting it all together. Well, and not being afraid to like try new stuff, which you guys, I talked about this all the time when we were in the, like the, the silver age or like the golden age and stuff. But dude, the and i think my comment always was you can tell how advanced or like further along in the disney um scope of skill that we're getting is how they animate water it this this entire movie it's a spectacle like from start to finish her coming the most infamous scene in the entire movie her coming up over the rock as the waves hit it uh, but like more subtle shit, like the way that the ship goes, like cuts through the waves or the way that she comes out of the water when the fireworks are going off. Like the way dude. she moves in the water, her yeah. hair, her like, I mean, fuck, right? Like it was yeah. like there are certain movies that the way that they look and are made like changes audiences and changes filmmaking. And this is one of them. Like it's oh, like yeah. the Little Mermaid. Jurassic Park, I would argue. Toy Story. Toy Story and Avatar. I'm sorry, yeah. it's on the list. Even if, like, even if that sucks. <laughs> no, I. That's I totally. Think, you're only saying that because that. you're mad that like fucking it beat out Endgame because they re-released it. I, well, okay, that is a dirty trick. By the way, that's like not fair. I don't agree with the way the the way that math is being done. <laughs> first of all, but also. I just like I don't personally dislike Avatar. I think it's just like dope live action Fern Gully and I'm here for it. But I know that lots of people don't share that sort of ambivalence on Avatar. Some people really hate that shit. So I'm like, if that sucks for you, I'm sorry about it. (laughs) But 
uh, Avatar is on the list of things that like change filmmaking and change how yeah. we look at movies from a visual standpoint. And uh, and yeah, shit, Mermaid one hundred percent is one of those. I mean, mm-hmm. and it was it was so successful it even changed how they did VHS releases. They sold like twenty million VHS or something stupid like that. And yeah. uh so are we I noticed that neither of us put this in the notes. Is it like too low hanging fruit? Are we not gonna talk about the VHS um the Little Mermaid VHS scandal? Um <clears throat> Yeah. So I have that version, by the way. I, so did I, I. Yeah. It, I don't have so, it anymore, but we did growing up. We had so let's let's be clear. The the yeah. drama is here's my understanding of it, and I actually didn't look this up to verify. This is just my like the myth. So I don't know. Tell me mm. if this isn't exactly what happened. But the myth goes that the person who was animating or like drawing the uh, the VHS cover of The Little Mermaid got fired and ended up like there were many, many copies of this VHS cover printed that he did after he got fired and he was pissed off and he dr- he drew like a giant dick in the castle. And That's it's like very- obviously a dick and there's however many thousands of copies that have it, but not all of them because they eventually caught it. So if you have yeah. a copy of The Little Mermaid with a dick on it, it actually may be worth some amount of money. Um, and we it's did true. too. A lot of people did. A lot of the, is that So do I have this right? Is that correct? You do. So basically, it was a disgruntled artist who had been working on the film. The film was still being worked on. Uh, he got fired, but before he left, and I'm, the here's the reason that everybody thinks it's a rumor is no one knows the artist's name. And right. if they do, I've never been able to find it. But they drew a very easy to see if you spend more than three seconds looking at the cover dick on one of the pillars in Triton's castle. Um, however, the <laughs> the dick went like completely unnoticed by Disney for I think like six months. And then some dude at a grocery store saw it and was like holy fuck like we got to pull these and called disney and disney was like holy shit <laughs> yeah because it's when you look at it it's not like oh it, it is like no it's so it's obvious phallic. like yeah. it's really there yeah and then, and then you get other shit like the priest has a boner when he's marrying vanessa and eric you can't Mm, that one's one of the most questionable like is it a sex reference thing in the disney renaissance because almost every one of the movies will have one and it's why i was like are we just not talking about it because everyone knows this shit already it's so low-hanging but like we all know most of them and we'll probably still end up calling them out when they happen but i just think they're funny so i am going to say something about them like the ones from aladdin there are some that i've never heard people talk about that i've noticed like what uh when the rocks are exploding in the lava when abu takes the ruby uh if you listen really carefully as the rocks explode abu goes oh shit really i've never heard yeah. that all right i look forward to <laughs> to bringing up all the slow hanging fruit so we kind of let's talk animation before we talk music because we kind of were there already we were kind yeah. of headed there but sweet mother of god it's like we said this looks fucking good and remember the last the last thing what we saw that was animated was Land Before Time. And Disney's movie before this, I would not shit you, Scott, was Oliver and Company. So like, I'm it's no wonder that this was such a winner. Like it looks so good. Yeah. We have no pencil gradient lines here. We have no weird overlapping of colors or breaking in frames and stuff like that. This movie is for all intents and purposes flawless the the use of 
almost camera angling shit. Like as the ship is going by, we're getting long shots of the whole fucking ship. Then these dolphins are coming out of nowhere and we've got proper ripples. We've got like, dude, we've, oh my God. It just like, it is so good. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. I, and I really liked the, the way that they contrasted the reds and the blues because they have these very like blue hues underwater. Obviously, yeah. everything's very cool. And then even before the ship is on fire, it looks so warm and inviting. Like I get why she it would want to be there. Like it's very – and then when they have the fire and you're Oh like my god. Everything the, about this shit underwater is so fucking dope. When you see the ship burning from under the water, like that, it just looks unbelievable. It's so, so beautiful. Yeah. And what's really incredible about this movie, and I was shocked to find this out, because I was like, we're done with xerography, no more hard pencil lines. Like, how did they make this movie? They must have had a whole brand new. No, this is the last Disney film to use xerography. They're using it. But it's also the first Disney film to use CAPS, which is computer animation production. Our computer animated production. Mm -hmm. And you can see it. uh, Actually, the spot where it's most obvious, I think. To me, anyway, was when she runs down the stairs thinking that the prince is going to marry yeah. her, but Vanessa's there. You can see mm-hmm. it's computer. Uh, it it looks very like the way the computer animation looks in Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King, where you have a couple of scenes that kind of like pan out, and it's the the dancing scene in Beauty and the Beast or the wildebeest in The Lion King. They yeah. have a little bit of caps in this movie towards the end of the movie. It's in like subtle, subtle things. Like for me, the most notable was the ship in the beginning. That's all, that's all caps as you're watching the ship, like go mm-hmm. by. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I forgot about the, her coming down the stairs. That's yeah, that, I, that was. That was where I like saw it. And I was like, oh, hey, Caps, like there it is. Yeah. You could you can tell, <laughs> but it looks great. It's like seamless. And mm-hmm. it did not look weird when we were young. That's the really critical thing. Yeah. Like it's one thing to look back on these things and say, oh, it it holds up. Like I see the, com- oh, I see the computer, right? But it's mm-hmm. not bad. And it's another thing to be an audience member who's never seen anything be computer animated and not really notice. Just say this is beautiful, right? right? How did they do it? But they don't, It's it's not like, they saw the difference in the way it was animated in those scenes. So right, super exactly. well done. It's it's also the last film to use the multi-pane camera from all those original Golden Age movies like Sleeping Beauty. It's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, because the multi-pane made some really beautiful shots. But it also used rotoscoping, including even some underwater shots where they mm-hmm. had actresses underwater with their hair floating around to base the animation on. So it's so interesting to me that they use like all of these things together and i can't wait to do because next week is rescuers down under so i'm really curious to see how they if this is the last xerography then what's the difference between this and that because i know down under looks good right i remember um, everything about that movie i remember using caps to the fucking nines yeah there's a lot of caps in that movie like in the canyons and stuff like i can yeah. visualize it too i remember because i remember that movie like we're at now we're in our like mm-hmm. our fucking ball game yeah. right now scott this is like our territory we're the all-star game now yeah this <laughs> is <laughs> It's our wheelhouse. Let's go. Um, but yeah, it was, they used a lot of different stuff to make mermaids. So it's it's no wonder that it looks great, especially because it's using those like underwater settings or settings that involve a lot of water. But the other thing that makes this stand out from those prior Disney movies is that it is a fucking musical. Oh my and God. It's, it's not like a musical, a, dude. It's, it's a, a fucking bop fest. It's a pop musical. 
right? It's a complete change. Even from the other Disney movies we had that we could argue were as much a musical as Mermaid, which I don't think we've had any that are. I don't. Mm, We've had like each one that we've had has had like two, maybe three. Cinderella, like I think would have, I I would say that Cinderella has had the most. Okay. We could argue that for Cinderella. There was also kind of a lot in Snow White. Actually, like no. There's only yeah. There's like two or three in Snow there's White. Wishing Well. There's when she cleans the house. There's Hi Ho. Oh, I forgot about Hi Ho. Yeah, yeah and like then at there's least three. But no, this one is different. Like even if there was one out there that we could think of, let's say it's Cinderella that has as many and good and good songs that we all still know now that are like on Scott's oh, yeah. playlist, right? Cinderella is a great comparison because it's it's also a princess movie. It's all the things. In a heartbeat, I would put on this soundtrack first. Like, it's so good. It's so hot. It's the pop music. It's a different genre entirely of musical. I So here's the thing that, like, <clears throat> this was just me, like, dude, I remember this. There's fucking, like, great songs in this movie. Yeah. Here's the thing that, like, kind of blew my mind. Um, The first song actually does not start until about 15 minutes in. And it's um, Part of Your World. Mm, false. I mean, okay, so if it's Fathoms the, below, if, it's Fathoms quick. Below, but okay, Fathoms I know. below sets the stage. And I'm talking about and, the songs that we and, remember, like the bops. Okay, I'm being nitpicky on like the soundtrack yeah, of this movie. Of like, yes, the first bop is part of your world. That is about 15 minutes in, but before that happens, we get both Fathoms Below and the uh, the song at the concert. Yeah, I the know intro song. Yeah, and I get that that's diegetic and it, that it's very like it's the concert. Like we don't think of it as being one of the musical numbers, but in terms of setting the stage for how much music is in this movie and how much it drives a plot forward, this was the whole yeah. big thing that was a big part of Ashman's legacy in Mermaid was like, we're not just going to stop for music because there should be music and we're going to sing about like cleaning the house or going to work or whatever the fuck. Like this is going to be something that progresses us into the next the part thing. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so like those songs are still part of that, right? Like Fathoms Below introduces us to the world and sets up the mer yeah. people, and then the concert is like a really important plot point and character point in the beginning of the movie, right? Yep. Oh, I forgot to mention this. I'm so sorry. We are kind of at the part, but we are back with No Mom. Oh yeah, we got No Moms. You're right. <laughs> I didn't yep. think about that. We are and back I have to the single parent in Disney. Mm-hmm. Oh. I have I have, have canon to back you up from. Do you fucking movie. really? Yeah, I Let's have like mad go, Ariel's dude. mom canon. We'll get there. Don't worry. Okay, good because it. now I'm like, oh I fuck. Watched, okay, watched all the movies. <laughs> Damn I it. Watched the Little Mermaid three Ariel's beginnings in which we see her mother's tragic death. Like it's on screen. Like it's. Okay. I can tell you all about it. We'll get there. Um, unbelievable. But yeah, uh, part of your world. This is. This is my favorite. Part Dude. of your world is the song that I cry during. Like, I mean, look at this stuff. <laughs> Isn't it neat? <laughs> I'm not going to dignify you with the verbal response to that. No, because it's fucking great, man. <laughs> First of all, like, I just, I love that. And it, it is. It is very, like. It's this. It's the Disney that we came to know where it was like, dude, you're tra- you're talking about your problems. Flow into the song. It's not just like, I got to clean the house. I'm going to fucking sing. Like, yep. this is, she was like, he just doesn't understand. You know, like, I, I want to be, I want to see, like, more than what's down here. Here we go. You know. And, and hush. I, and it's so beautiful. It is. This is, well, actually... 
all of the songs are examples of this. What makes this stand out in so many ways, I think, is that like you ha- the ones that are major bops, the look is as good as the sound mm-hmm. and the yeah. heart and the character in them. Like they're huge moments in like this one for Ariel in Under the Sea for Sebastian. Oh, my God. You know, obviously, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Like, Kiss the Girl. Kiss the Girl is so beautiful. Yeah. The, and the, or in the way that Ursula moves up the wall while she's yeah. singing for Unfortunate Souls and the way like just the they really nail that that we don't have like a, there's been Disney movies in the past where the musical numbers are just like kind of a mess. I mean, mm-hmm. even think about like Mary Poppins. I know that was live action. So yeah. it's like a different kind of But thing. even still like, yeah, there were you're kind of like what? is this it's just a shit show even in supercalifragilisticexpialidocious when there is animation it's just all over the place like it's just like <laughs> like and and to an extent um under the sea is a little bit like that but it's like supposed to be and there's always something fascinating to look at and see in that yeah. scene like every switch is like something cool like because the animation looks good because this is not like the 70s and everything doesn't look like shit anymore yeah, right real. it's just i don't know all of them put them together just so good. But yeah, Part of Your World is like, it's also not our first I Want song, which I think is worth pointing out because it kind of feels not. like it. It's the first yeah. of the Renaissance. Yeah, but, actually, uh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, oh, that's Snow White point. has yeah. one in Snow the White has Wall one. Song. Sleeping Beauty has one. Cinderella has one. Yep. Cinderella has a great one. Cinderella right? does have a great one. Yeah. <clears throat> a yeah, Wish Your Heart Makes is Cinderella's. Sleeping Beauties was Once Upon a Dream. Mm-hmm, right. Um, seeing a seeing a, a through line. Snow White's was the wishing well. Um, yeah. Have we had any other princesses? Is that actually where we're at on princesses? Pretty that sure might be worth checking in on real quick. Let me look at this. Real that quick. can't be right. That's that's actually got to be right. Snow White, uh, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Cinderella, Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. That is. That's and that's it. it. Until my Holy girl Ariel. That's shit. shocking, isn't it? Well, so this is the first Disney movie based on a fairy tale since Sleeping Beauty. So yeah. 1959. So 30 yeah. years we haven't had one. Mm-hmm. It's been a really long time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, Little Mermaid is and isn't a fairy tale, right? It's like almost. Yeah, this is like the happy ending version of Han Christian's An- Christian Anderson's. Oh, style. well, no kidding. No, but I mean, it's not a Grimm's, I guess is what I'm no, saying. I guess that's where not. I'm making the distinction yeah. between Mermaid and the other fairy tales. This is not Grimm's, whereas right. the others generally were, right? Mm-hmm. They all were. This is the first non-Grimm's fairy tale, and True. it's the first non-Grimm's. It takes place in Europe, it does indeed. Uh, it does. It does take place in Denmark, where you can see in real life, um, because Hans Christian Andersen is from Denmark. That's yes, like it, is. it explicitly is is uh, like Flemish, right? Is the mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but in the I don't know in what city in Denmark. Oh, I could I, I off the coast. You. So you've seen the statue, right? There's the yeah. mermaid statue in the port in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, all very cool, but. Uh, but yeah, I love part of your world just breaks my heart. It just is. It's so incredibly beautiful. And fucking Katzenberg wanted to cut this song. Of course he did. Because of a buggy screen testing where like there's no one knows exactly what happened. But it was like people came out of the screen test like like people looked unhappy. But it was like there was like a baby crying or something like it was a weird. There's That's like myths odd. about what went on in this screen test of Mermaid that made Katzenberg want to cut part of your world because like during 
kids were squirming during part of your world. That's weird. I don't and they know. wanted to cut it. Yeah. He got, but later they did other test screens and there was no problem. Like there was something weird that happened that day during part of your world. Like somebody was crying or someone had to get taken out or whatever. Um, obviously they kept it. Under the sea is, no, it's no wonder this is the big winner, right? Though. Oh, that a thousand percent. Awards. Yeah. Are you surprised is... that part of your world didn't get nominated when Under the Sea and, and uh, Kiss the Girl did? The only reason I'm not surprised is because up to this point, or actually from this point on, just about every Disney movie is going to have a I could play this at a kid's birthday party song. Right? This is not part of your world is not a kid's birthday party song. Under the sea, a thousand percent is. You could even make the yeah, case for Kiss that. the Girl. Yeah. But mostly um, under the sea. But That's definitely the under game the sea. Here, yeah, huh? this a thousand percent. This song, dude, I oh my god. It you here it like I could say something like to a coworker and be like, you know what, man, that's just something like that's part of your world or whatever. No one's going to be like, I'm part of your world. But if I said something like, oh, yeah, it's under the sea, I guarantee you at least three people in the mall that I don't know are like, under the sea. It's just like it's so much a bigger song. And I, I think that's why it's also the most colorful portion of the movie. Yeah, it is. It's exciting. So, My baby niece loves it. It's her favorite. Okay, yeah, let's go, dude. She gets like real stoked about Under the Sea. My niece loves this movie. She just calls it Ariel, by the way. I mean, that makes, that's like legit. <laughs> I think I used to do that too, put on Ariel. I call it the little mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, so is, yeah, is this Poor was... Unfortunate Souls our first proper bad guy song? Because it is real good. What about Radigan? Okay, I gotta give the nod to Radigan because that is seriously, yeah, dude. Like, okay, yeah. Oh, my dear Bartholomew. <laughs> like, that's gotta be the I, yeah, first, okay, like... Okay, okay, I gotta give it to him. All right. It's yeah. it's at least, you know, and it's something that we talked about um, during Mouse Detective quite a bit and in Black Cauldron, right? Where those sort of Renaissance trials and, yeah, and I things think that ended up working, right? It definitely did. And I think it's also it's a fourth wall break too, because he's like, as you were singing. No other right. movie acknowledges their singing unless it's important. Like when she sings to Eric after she rescues him, gives off these very mythological siren vibes where he's like, This girl, like she rescued me and she was singing to me and stuff like that. So it's totally. like this movie acknowledges that, yeah, like singing is a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. well but and it's I, the concert in the beginning too right exactly. that's what they say it's her best quality she has the yeah. most beautiful voice it's that's like why ursula situation. wants it right she's like fine i'll send you up there but i'm gonna send you up there handicapped as fuck like yeah but i would i would honestly say as much as i love radigan dude like oh my god i love radigan so much but dude i this song this is probably one of the best uh, up until be prepared this is probably one of the best villain songs ever. Are you going to try and tell me that you think Be Prepared is better than Poor Unfortunate Souls? I do. I, I um, do. And the podcast ended forever. And oh, my God. Scott never again. Sp- Are you fucking kidding me? You're not serious. Be Prepared? Be Prepared from The Lion King. I fucking love that song. No. You think that's you- a better, like, dude, it's barely for a diff- song. For different reasons, I think it's better. I oh, love, I no. love chorus songs and when they're all singing you know what it is actually i'm gonna have to redact what i just said 
because not because of anything you just said. I'm my own person and I have my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> but, just so overwhelmingly no, right. I kind no, of <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's calm down here. The main reason that Be Prepared is so good to me is actually only in the movie version. Like if I listen to Be Prepared just like on Spotify or something, it's it doesn't give me the same vibes. And I think it's because the scene where all the hyenas are marching in front of him and singing the song to him, that part sounds dope as shit to me, but that part is not in the song. There is nothing wrong with um, Poor Unfortunate Souls in any version that you listen to. So I am actually going to change what I said for a technical reason. Dude. Not a lensical reason. It's I Lensical is definitely the word we should be using. Yes. I am almost like not surprised to hear you say that about be prepared because I know that like that uh, and I say this without I'm like wait hang on this sounds so bad I'm like I this I'm is Loki gonna be you, so offensive to me right now you guys <laughs> no it's not know? offensive to you it's I'm 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 trying to say this with uh with an awareness of the Nazi allegory that oh prepared yeah has. I'm trying to yeah. say this with an awareness to that because I know that that's what the iconography is there like and it, it is. is. Yeah. Um, and what I was going to say is I can see why it appeals to you. So I'm trying to say that no, in the right way. Cause I, it's very, um, like star Wars also takes from that. Yes, it does. And I and think the that's... black and the red and the bad yeah. guys. And like, I get why that kind of, yeah, it's not, I'm it's not, not Nazi, Nazi imagery, imagery appeals to you, yeah. but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to say, I get how that imagery appeals to you while acknowledging that I know where that's like, where it yeah. comes from, but not anyway, feel free to just cut. Can all you guys that. see the thin line? We are very, very careful. I'm just going. like, Scott, I'm not trying to say something <laughs> bad about you. I'm like, just, I'm aware of all the connective tissue here. The point is I get why you would like be prepared in its bad guy ness but but poor and fortunate souls is better like it's a better song come on like it's such a bad i think i think it's because it's more intimate it literally is just ursula talking to to ariel and another the lyrics it, in it are so good like it's so clever are. and kind of rappy and like oh i but also i'm just gonna be honest with you, you this is my favorite movie and like period full stop no no provisos <laughs> so like there's I mean, you're not gonna catch me like in the lion king bad guy song better no and that's i and i i, I have to acknowledge that too like I, there's gotta we're in that era where we're gonna come into a lot of biases here we're gonna hit some real personal shit where i'm yeah. just like what do you mean you like anyway we can move on <laughs> yeah. issue. i'm like but this is the best movie ever made scott <laughs> I, yeah i'm like i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about star wars yeah. what no yeah no. <laughs> yeah, like. Oh my god, but no, that's I, a personal. But I'm like, this is so much better than Empire. It might dude, be. I'm gonna fucking fight you right now. <laughs> anyway, like, I, I, you know what I think it is? I think it's because everything about this song is not really about Ariel. It's about Ursula is a thousand percent telling you what she's about, and Ariel is just too caught up in wanting to be. Again, I'm going to make these dad jokes all day. Part of your world. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't care. She literally is telling Ariel, there have been times where I've had to fuck people up because they didn't come through on this. Yeah, shit. she's just spelling out like who she is and what her situation yeah. is about. And she, yeah. like, They weren't kidding. Um, They called me nasty. They called me Wait, a witch. No, she says they weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. witch. Like, come on, that's. Yeah. That is some Lin Manuel Miranda like deserving shit. Like honestly, oh, it's like he was his creative spirit was like born out of Ashman. 
Oh, right? it had like to have been. He is so the natural successor. What I uh, well, got, this is going to be a long fucking episode. I'm just throwing yeah, that out there, listeners. It's going to be fucking like two and a half hour episode. So we can cut Le Poisson. That's my least favorite song. That's the not banger. Fuck that song. I'm Why really is it honest, turning? I forgot it was I didn't because I hate that part of the movie. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't like this. I feel like they just had to add it to make the movie longer. And the movie is short. The movie's like an hour and 18 minutes or something. An hour and 28 minutes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's with credits. Mm-hmm. When you cut the like of film, I think it's an hour and eighteen. Yeah. Um. So that one's not good. But then Sebastian redeems it with "Kiss the Girl," which is the last song in the movie. I'm pretty sure, right? Apart from, you know, the like choral well, song. We the car- yeah, we get the chorus part of your world at the. End. That's all kind of part of the score, though. This is the last song yeah. on the soundtrack, really. The the last yes, it is. the last big bop before we enter the third act is "Kiss the Girl" and. Whew, Kiss the Girl is real good. That scene is beautiful. Yeah, dude. I oh, yeah. Okay, so that I swear to God, while I was watching this, I knew it was coming and I looked, dude, I looked right at Zuko and just went, are you ready for this shit? And I was just like, wah, 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 wah. Dude, I was, oh my God, I was cracking myself up in my living room. I'm gonna room. put that animal out of its misery, Eric. I, know. <laughs> I love in the like the crescendo of that song when he jumps back into it and they have to grab him. They have to pull him down. Yeah. <laughs> Flamingos. <laughs> so, all right, let's, let's get into this movie a half an hour into this, the podcast. Let's mm-hmm. discuss the film. Uh, Let us. I thought we'd talk about Ursula and her, her taking matters into her own tentacles. Let's get, yeah. Kick off well, with her. Before we go into anything further, Lindsay actually did have a question for me, and I do want to break this down right now. Ursula is an actual creature of mythology. She is what's called a Sicilia, oh. which is in Greek and Native uh, Roman and Native American mythology. It is a mer person of female top and octopus uh, bottom. Oh, another frequently used name is Octomaid. Octomaid. Okay, I actually dope, like that. Dope. Yeah, a famous example of the octopus limb mermaid is Disney's Sea Witch Ursula. What the fuck, man? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I did not realize. So that's some shit right there. I yeah. didn't know that. And I think it's really smart of them to do that. But here's like my here's one of my things that like you guys know I love villains. We don't really know a whole lot, but the biggest part is she was at one point a member of Triton's court. And she yeah, did she live lived in the in palace. The palace. Yeah. yeah. What? Yep. Was she in charge or was she just part of high society? We have no idea. I would have to assume she was part of high society. However, she never kept what she was about secret. She wanted power. She used black magic to get her power. But here's my favorite part about this. When she is banished, she is in no way, shape, or form stripped of her powers. She is as right. powerful as she was in the palace as she is when we first meet her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and Triton's today. like, nah, it's fucking whatever. She's just out there living inside a dead Leviathan under the water. Like, okay. You're right. She is. You know what would be interesting? Um, is if she was like a Rasputin character. Like maybe she worked cool. for the king. Right. Like, so I always like, thought when I was a kid that she was in love like, with turned Triton. evil. Right. Well, I get the feeling that they have fucked very strongly. 
I thought that too, but then here's my like one of two things about Ariel's mom kind of thing. I thought Ursula was responsible for Ariel's mother's death. She definitely was in the palace. I feel like she and Triton have a history for sure. And There's I would no love to know what that is. And her plan to rule the ocean is pretty scary. Like when she gets the trident and she's like, and I'll be the ruler of all yeah. our people. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's the plan? What is she? She's work. very menacing. Yeah. She's just like, I don't know what she was going to do. You know what I mean? It's a mistake. I don't know whether it's, yeah, it is a mystery. I don't know whether it's supposed to be that she is inherently powerful or that she knows magic. Because what she says is, I fortunately know a little magic, which is delivered. Yeah. So that line, oh my God. <laughs> it's so, it's kind of like, it's like low key, a little bit sexy. And like, it's, oh, oh yeah. she's so great. Speaking of sexy, can you tell me about Divine? <laughs> yeah, Divine. Yeah. So Ursula. Ursula is like the number one example of the queer coded villain, right? When people mm. talk about queer coded Disney villains, they say Ursula first. The correct answer is like Scar or Jafar, right? Are the more, I mean, yeah. also Radigan. I mean, almost all of them, we've talked about this a number of times. I mean, we even talked about this back with Maleficent. Like this, this is we like did, a lot actually. of yeah. the Disney villains. Oh, every but, time you say his name, I'm just like, oh, my dear, Bob, follow me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Radigan's so good. <laughs> what a what a privilege to review that movie. But Ursula gets brought up a lot with yeah. it, right? And and here's what's so great about Ursula is that, you know, for me, Ursula goes beyond the coding, and that's what makes her great. She's her queer coding is not problematic. And I think here I think the more modern modern read <clears throat> modern. For, the more modern read, first of all, on the queer coded Disney villains is that like, yes, we we wish that there was there were like queer coded Disney heroes or queer yeah. Disney heroes. Like we wish for better representation, no question, but it does not mean that these villains aren't great. Right. Oh yeah. There are issues there, but it doesn't mean they're not great. But those even the issues that do exist with like a scar really aren't so much there for Ursula because Ursula's based on divine. She's not queer coded. She's queer. Like Ursula's just because the, the problem with coding is that it's like, oh, but it's not really who you are or your character. It's just like we're using these little subtle cues to tell you that bad guys are gay or that being gay makes you a bad guy. more so, yeah. Right. This doesn't really do that. Ursula is just full on queer. She's based on Divine, who is a drag queen um, who was super famous in the 80s in Baltimore, which is where Howard Ashman grew up. So Ashman mm -hmm. very much knew who Ursula was. Oh, yeah. Howard Ashman was also gay. And and sick with AIDS during the making of this film. And I did not know that. Mm -hmm. wow. And died of AIDS right after Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. And and which he worked on. And so we're going to talk a lot about like his legacy in this. But I think it's really important to note as I dive into what will be a long conversation on like Ariel's queer coding and like her transformation and her mm -hmm. story and like a queer reading of her story more so than a feminist one that like Howard Ashman was very much part of this community. And like, these are, it's not just like it's 2022 and everything's gay. It's like, no, right. this was, this was fucking happening. Um, and Ursula was explicitly based on divine who is a drag queen. And like, mm -hmm. they just, yeah. If you haven't seen pictures of divine, look her up because it's, it's yeah. Ursula. It's, awesome. <laughs> it's so intentional on Ashman's part. And like, 
Ursula and Ariel, I think, are kind of queer foils for one another. Yeah. Where Ursula is like shunned by society and Ariel like finds acceptance. And well, she wants to break society. Ariel, she wants to like break away from. I guess what like her society would say is like the norm. She wants to change norms. Yeah. yeah. Ariel wants to like be progressive and be accepted and like change norms. Whereas Ursula is just like, well, fine. Then like she just gets outcast. Right. Right. Exactly. They are both very selfish in what they're doing, but Ariel's selfishness serves a much greater good in the long run. Yeah, totally. Like Ursula is more like, bitter yeah exactly and ariel's more like hope but i don't understand how a world who makes such wonderful things could be bad could be bad god dude it's just, oh my god just saying that is what she says it is <laughs> so for the ursula stuff the the last kind of things that i have on her is like ursula probably expected ariel to Drown, drown? yeah like, yeah that could, like she probably never expected her to get to the surface right well isn't that what her uh sister tries to do in the second in the one second yes one. it actually is a plot point in the second movie that is how they try to kill melody she's like oh and you'll turn back into a human and then you're fucked <laughs> then you're gonna yeah. drown down here <laughs> whoopsie do and she like locks her up and leaves <laughs> jesus it's well and like she would have had sebastian and flounder not been there she would have drowned the last thing on ursula and then we will get into ariel is that i forget how much of a cheater she is no matter how many thousands of literal times i've seen this movie i always forget what a fucking cheater ursula is and it pisses me off Mm -hmm. oh no the deck is stacked from from the beginning but absolutely she cheats i just don't get why by saying like i'm gonna take your voice right that's your handicap like she creates a handicap but then when ariel managed to overcome that Mm -hmm. and kiss the girl she's about to fucking win yeah. And then they turn Flossum and Jetsum turn over the boat. Right. Here's my question about that. Why couldn't they have just kissed right after that? I thought that too. Watching it this time, I was like, because it's not like romantic and sweet and perfect and now they're wet and it's but if that was today, if that was like a live action today, you would like stand up, which by the way, they're ankle deep. I was gonna say, they're not gonna fucking drown. No, literally, I don't know how the boat was in the water. I don't know how Sebastian was in the water. When they stand yeah. up, they are ankle deep. But uh, if that was if that was today in like a rom com, once you wake up laughing, soaking wet from the boat, that's totally when you kiss. And oh, so yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like to our modern sensibilities. I'm like, I guess I get it if you're a Disney princess. Also, here's my other like, just the biggest. The, again, I got to give it to Ursula because she is really good at this. But the biggest flaw in her plan. She sends two eels who cannot walk on land to keep an eye on her. What happens if that night Eric is like, we, we're really cold. We need to um, have like, a let's just have like a nice warm, sit in front of the nice warm fire. And that's just as romantic. I know. Instead of going out on the boat. Yeah. Like, going out on the boat. You just sit in front of a fucking castle and no one can see you. And now Ursula's like, well, fuck me, dude. Well, if Ariel was a little less naive, she probably would have kept them True inside. Story. If she realized that the sea witch was trying to to fuck her, but so she doesn't. This is another th- interesting thing about Ursula and Triton. She doesn't see that the sea witch is trying to actually get at Triton. Like the point of like, if you lose your mind, 
Ursula's long game, which mm-hmm. we see her execute, right, is that once Ariel belongs to her, then she tricks Triton into giving her the trident and she becomes ruler of the ocean. Like her, that is her plan and it works. Right. Yeah. And Ariel doesn't know enough about whatever their backstory is, or like she knows who the sea witch is when, when that gets brought up by Flotsam and Jetsam, she's like, fuck you. No way. Yeah. It's not like she's never heard of Ursula, but she doesn't know enough to suspect that she would cheat or that she would really be trying to get after Triton. She yeah. doesn't know. And she's also 16 and not thinking clearly, you know, we'll talk about that, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we don't like, no, oh, Ursula is such a bitch. Her, and I, the way that she, because they almost have an indoor kiss, right? When Eric yeah. realizes, when when Alfred comes and tells him, you know, you got this girl right here. Why are you sitting here thinking about your mystery delusion? Yeah. Um, He goes right in. He's on his way in to see Ariel. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go right up there and tell her I love her. Mm-hmm. And then and then Vanessa shows up. So what a bitch. Oh, and we'll, we'll talk about her as we go. As we talk more about Eric, probably towards the end of the movie, but uh, yeah, Ursula is a fucking cheater, and it's it's and and in despite all of that, they are like a half a beat off making it for the kiss in the end. Mm-hmm. They're just slightly too late. It's crazy that Ariel does as well as she does with all yeah. that against her. That she almost didn't even need the whole end game, uh, the whole third act. She almost just won. She was like, "Dude, this girl's a teenager. She's a fucking idiot. She doesn't know what she's doing." Yeah. And then Ariel's like, bitch, I love this guy. And Eric's like, well, me too. And Ursula's like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> well, it also speaks to the whole, like, one of the criticisms of this movie as we do move into Ariel is like, oh, and of, and of all the Disney princesses. It's like, oh, we fell in love so fast, right? Yeah. And now all the meta princesses, like, in Frozen are commenting on that in Disney. And it's so hilarious. And in Wreck-It Ralph too. Yeah. Um. But it's like, yeah, and the bad guy came up with that plan. It's supposed to be ridiculous that in mm-hmm. three days you can make someone give you love's true kiss or whatever. People really give this movie a hard time for that, like, fall in love overnight. And I'm like, right, and it's that's the point. Like, it's set up as being ridiculous. The bad guy comes up with this plan because yeah. of how stupid that is. <laughs> so Ariel. Ariel's my favorite princess. She's always been my favorite. I love Ariel so much but what i love about ariel and eric is that like ariel saves eric in the beginning Mm -hmm. first of all so she's already the one to get to be the savior first right and i think um kind of following on i think some of the stuff we've been saying in the last few episodes about these kinds of because we were talking about this on, on batman right right it's not I think that women can never need to be rescued. I think it's this rep rep oh shit, uh, reciprocity yeah. um, that, that is what we're kind of looking for. And that's what I was saying too, around like there's room for both. Like I can have Zendaya being rescued by Andrew Garfield, Andrew Garfield. and I can have spider Gwen. Right. Like right. W- there's room for all, all of the things. And I think that this movie does a great job of having Ariel be the one who rescues Eric first. And then he does like him rescuing her is not like that speaks volumes about him more than it does her helplessness to me because he is not like, what the fuck? Like Eric just discovered that any of this exists, right? (laughs) His fiance turned into an octopus on the boat. Like, and both the women he was with (laughs) turned into fish and are like screaming about like she has no idea what's going on he's watching her get the shit beat out of her by a bunch of starfish and stuff 
Yeah, and they and she just bursts out of her dress into Ursula, and Ariel's laying there on the ground. All of a sudden, can talk to him and like is a fish, and he's just like <laughs> he's like that's life out on the high seas, and he's just like, oh, what's going down under there under the water? I have no fucking idea. But me and my spear are gonna dive down there and save this girl. Fuck it. Like and Eric does, is so man. brave. Like he goes down into her world to like, and then what? What I. What I took from it and also what I remember as a kid, like, you know how you watch some of these scenes and some of it's really visceral and you can like feel it, yeah. like the memory of watching it. So for for whatever, whatever it counts for having been a little girl watching this and like feeling my visceral memories, what I really remember from that scene is is Ariel holding Eric after when they're they're like in the water. Um, yeah. After Ariel attacks Ursula, right? Mm. Like Eric has to rescue her, but then she attacks her. She jumps at her face. She's like yeah. feral. Like they're fighting together, <laughs> right? And and I remember that. I remember that Ariel jumps at Ursula. And I remember after when they're floating, that Ariel's like holding Eric up. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of holding each other up in the water. And she rescues him again and takes him to the surface, right? So I think there's a lot of reciprocity in the way that they rescue one another. And a lot of bravery in the way that Eric dives down into the water. And like, so that didn't bug me. That didn't bug me. I I felt good about that as a kid. And I felt good about it today. But then he does, he does the big save in the end, right? There's mm-hmm. a, they both get a couple opportunities because he's the one who runs the boat through Ursula's stomach. So they, I feel like they both like fight together. And I like that they're a team in this. Like it's a little yeah. bit more like Meg and Hercules. I'm really feeling like a lot of the, I think it's unfounded and I think it's like just like bad faith early 2000s feminism that I don't agree with. So I love I love Ariel. I love that she's she's 16 years old and not a child. Who didn't relate to that? I didn't. <laughs> Take me seriously. No, and I get it and that's I think that's like the biggest part of it too is like this is absolutely just an adolescent like you it looks like it and as you go through the movie you're like wow she actually is a lot more mature than we gave her credit for and you start off thinking like as yeah, just a dumb teenager like whatever but also she's kind of a dumb teenager and it's like yeah. when triton like finds the statue of eric and she's like you don't know him i love him and it's like you guys never met like I, you Dude, don't yeah. know him you don't love him like but that's, that's just like are you a little ridiculous. kidding me right now <laughs> a little insane i mean it works out for her to our knowledge like they're still cute they're like in those in the sequel and stuff but you know i'm I believe in Ariel and, and Eric's true love, but it's a little it's a little ridiculous. But overall, like she she doesn't really have a character arc that's reserved for Triton and Sebastian. Yes. Um and so yeah, to your point of like her fighting for what she wants and all of that, like she I would argue that she really does through this whole movie that like she knows exactly what she wants from part of your world, right? She wants yeah. to be part of that world, full stop. And that never changes. And it's like this really steadfast thing in her that like she does, like, even though she's kind of an idiot, like that's what she's going for this whole time. Like she's willing to do a lot to get it and she always wants it. And it's really about everyone else getting on her level. Right. Kind of getting to where she is with like the thought process. Yeah. To absolutely. be like, that's an acceptable lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause like, We'll, and we will re- revisit this. But like Triton has the ability at any time to turn her into a person and does not. And it's obvious that that's what she wants. And it's obvious that it's like a secret. And so I, 
I really don't have like feminist beef with Ariel. Um, I think the criticisms that she gets are the first one is Ariel mutilates her body and gives up her voice for a man. Right. That's like the, the bad faith feminism of the, yeah. right. Like that's what people say about this. Don't give up your voice. Don't change for a dude, all of these things. And I'm like, that is so fucking basic. Like that's the definition of basic to me. She has always wanted those legs, which I will get into. Um, we talked about her voice thing being well worked into the plot. It immediately makes sense to have that be the handicap. Yeah. Right. Like that's not, I don't like, I don't read that as like a crappy message. Um, if anything, I think the more modern read of this is a trans read, um, that it's not about losing your voice. It's about finding your voice. And I think there's a much more like queer coming out story happening here than there is like a feminist telling about like giving up your agency, you know, like Ariel has never been comfortable in her world. Yeah. Or her and and by by association her body right in part of your world when they talk about like what what it is that's in that world that she wants it's to walk it's to have feet it's to go for a stroll to go dancing right mm -hmm. it and it's like by um association like her body and there's actually even a major trans advocacy group that's called mermaids yeah um, yeah, like it, and the the other big Disney movie that kind of is much more overtly um, about a queer couple is is Luca, which is the other mermaid movie, mm -hmm. right? So the whole like the mermaids are are very much associated with like trans and like LGBTQ plus communities, and I just think it's it's more about like finding your voice and embodying the life that you want to live. And I think there's a much more legit, like, just queer interpretation of this than a, than there is a feminist one. And, like, like all her good stuff is in the closet, right? And when she gets, like, found out, it's like she's, like, outed by Sebastian later. Yeah, she is. And it's the romantic relationship and the, like, you want you have all of this stuff and you're, like, engaged in this, like, lifestyle and you want things that are, like, completely forbidden by her dad and she has like wicked agency. I don't think this is that like feminist stripping your agency no, story. No, yeah, definitely not. Be, right? Right. Like this whole thing with like how like painful it is to go through this transition and like come out and like in the book she like every step is, is Oh, like, it's like stepping agony. on glass and it's yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. absolute pain. Hans and then, Christian Anderson was queer as well. Yes. That was like, actually what I was about to say. <laughs> sorry go on no 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 that's what i was gonna say was like this also goes back to hans christian anderson yeah it's all it's it, suffice to say it's not it's like i said before it's not like the 2022 reading of this like this is like entrenched in mermaid history right yeah and in like the idea of mermaids um and ashman right like absolutely and it's no surprise he did beauty and the beast it's also a story about a non-traditional love interest that the provincial townspeople don't understand Yeah. Like, which is so much of what this is. And I think oh, Sebastian's line later, um, after she gets her legs and he said, we could, we're going to fix it. We'll go talk to the sea witch. Yep. You and could go home with all the normal fish and just be miserable for the rest of your life. 
Yeah. And, and he like gets like, it. Fuck. Yeah. In that moment, he like realizes like and gains that empathy for Ariel and understands like she has always wanted this, right? Which yeah. is the other the other criticism that this gets, like the feminist criticism is that she gives up everything for a boy. She falls in love with this guy she's never met or talked to and she saves his life and then she gives up her whole life and her family and and her body and her voice and moves away just for love. But it's like she's always wanted to go to Yeah, this. like this wasn't like a new thing that just happened because she saw the ship. She always wanted to be like up there with them. She has her whole closet full of like, Yeah, for real. This wasn't just right? made right before the movie started. Like what the no. fuck? She's like always wanted to go be on the surface. It is and Eric is like the catalyst. Like when you mix like her seeing Eric and having this like love at first sight, whatever, right? Which is like the part about it that's not great. Like I admit, like I don't have feminist beef, but the love at first sight piece maybe is a valid criticism. But the fact that after what just happened and losing all trust from her dad that he's ever going to accept her Mm. and she's starting to feel really desperate because she does have all of those love hormones because she has a crush on a boy right and then she gets manipulated by flotsam and jetsam and who tell her this is all so legit like you can be with him you know and Mm -hmm. fuck your dad and like all this drama and she doesn't even know what initially when she goes to ursula's cave like what she can even yeah like what she can she doesn't even know what she can do for him because when she's like uh the only thing you can, uh, the only way to get what you want is to become a human. And Ariel literally says, You can do that. Yeah. She has no idea it's possible. My dear child, it's what I live for. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, it's like, it's to her, like looking at it from her point of view, you would have to, you, you, there's no way you don't see how this is beyond enticing to her. Everything she loved yeah. and has been collecting for years has just been destroyed. And now this other person is, yeah, she's pissed. And now this other person is like, dude, I can give you what you want. You just have to give me a small token. Obviously, she words it in a way that's like, this is nothing compared to the dream you're about to live. Obviously, Ariel's like, dude, are you kidding me? Of course, I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah, it it totally tracks. I I don't think that she does anything that's all that crazy. And it's I don't think that she does it just for him. I think that she's really not feeling like there's a lot left for her where she is. She's feeling super desperate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, and I think that's that's very real. Right. Yeah. Of b- just being like, this is not who I want to be. This is not the world I, be- I belong in, the body that I belong in. Like, I want those things badly enough to give up a lot. Like to go through a really painful transition and sacrifice and like, I don't know how people are going to respond to this and I don't think I'm going to be accepted for it. Like she takes all the risks to get what she wants, right? And then that makes her the great foil to Ursula who is just like shunned by society and isn't trying to be accepted for, you know what I mean? Not that she wants to be human, but you know what I mean? Like in queer readings of the two of them. Right. Like it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, what I do think is missing from this um, is just even a one-liner of her being aware of Triton's totally pre-existing ability to turn her into a human at any time um, and have her ask for that. 
I think that that would alleviate all these issues where people are like, oh, she does it for love and she meets a boy. And she, I think all, all we need like in the live action is going to be a little, a little plot line of, of her asking him to do it. Like being aware that he can and asking for it and him saying no. He could threaten her with it in a way he could be like, maybe I should change you into a human. And then you'll actually see how barbaric they are. No, I think it should be her wanting it. I think it should establish that that's what Ariel wants from the beginning and that she doesn't take the Sea Witch's deal for Eric. She does it because this is what she's been trying to do. Oh. And when you pile Eric on top of that, she's like willing to like that's the catalyst that makes her willing to do some crazy shit. But that she has always wanted to outside of Eric that before Eric, she was asking for this to happen, that she wanted right. to make to have legs, that she did not want to be a mermaid. Yeah, I think that would resolve a lot of people's concerns here. I, I think that, and well, and then just makes sense. Or here, like, dude, you could even make the argument that Ursula could drop that too and be like, you know, your dad could have done this at any time, and he's like Ooh. kept it from you. This, like, you know, clearly he doesn't love you, or something like that. You know, like something that would like be that. Crazy, yeah. Um, I would like that a lot. I just, I just think that if that had been established, people wouldn't have that kind of like, I think, wrong feminist reading of this story. Yeah, that she gives it all up for a man. I think the movie does tell us that she wanted this to begin with, but I just think like there's an opportunity in there to like make it more interesting with Triton and more complicated, and make it more clear to the audience that Eric is not the reason that she does this. Um, how do you feel about like the prince representation in this? Because a lot of people use Eric as the example of why Disney princes are bad too. I don't understand that at all. Prince Philip, it, like he was the prince. He was the stand standard. He killed Maleficent. He slayed the dragon. He woke the beauty from the tower. Now we have Eric who literally does the same fucking thing. He met this girl three days ago. He's absolved of his uh, brainwashing. He's disabused of this nonsense that, um, you know, like Grimsby's like, you're never going to find this girl or whatever. Like, right. Whatever. And now he's like, okay, dude, like I love, I actually do love that girl. I'm going to dive down (laughs) this, this fucking octopus person who they all can clearly breathe underwater. And I super can't. Yeah, like, how are you going to help? Like, you're so outpowered yeah. down there. And he's just like, I'm going down, man. I'm going to I'm gonna do it. Can you imagine, though? I've been thinking about this since we talked about this. Uh, or since you brought this up. Like, can you imagine if that harpoon had just gone right through her fucking head? Like, dude, that's the end of the movie. Like, oh, it's Eric. And Ursula's like, I never saw this coming. Fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't know why that was. It puts her down, like, before she gets the trident. <laughs> Oh my god! He's like, I have the upper hand here, and he's like, right here. <laughs> I don't know why that shit would have just been so funny. Even Triton would have been like, God damn! <laughs> I just can't believe he dives down there with that I know. spear. Like it really is Steve Harrington with the flashlight. Well, and so the other part of this though is that's all he's got. He's got the one harpoon, and then Flotsam and Jotsam are like, Oh my god! And they tie him up, and then Ariel rescues him. Right? Yeah. They do. They have so much reciprocal rescuing. Yeah, they do. Like, he helps distract Ursula enough so that Ariel gets away, but then the fucking eels are like, yeah, we're going to ruin your life, bro. And then Ariel's like, I got to help you. The third act of this movie is fucking crazy. It's sick. I mean, the way that Eric 
straight impales her like she has like a really good villain death like holy shit she does she ever die not only does she get impaled she then gets fucking electrocuted yeah and like explodes. it explodes yeah. yeah there's like little sushi pieces, pieces of, of octopus littering the ocean floor like it's insane yeah this is easily one of up to this point the number one most gruesome villain death that we've had in a disney movie real gruesome and there and we see it happen and eric is just such a but eric's here for it he's here the whole time he's like bro i can command a ship i'm gonna bring this shit in like right on her he never feels two-dimensional to me i think that's like where i'm I'm going with this he doesn't feel like oh he's just an idiot prince that fell in love with this girl on the beach like no he actually does love her and he does every time he's talking to her he's he's enchanted by her he's amused by her he wants to know more about her. He's not just like, we're getting married. This chick is fucking like hot and she's into me. Yeah, he isn't just like, oh my God, I love you. Like, it's like they kind of get to know each other. He's yeah. not so sure at first. Um, and yeah, he's like modern and an adventurer. And I like how we see him in the beginning dancing and playing music, yep. which we know he then has in common with Ariel. And um, he doesn't like his his big statue and the, all the hubris, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like which is so funny. But his like he he does have like a personality and he's funny with. Um, yeah, he's not a wooden with character. At dinner. Yeah, he's. And <laughs> what I think is funny, though, is like what a beautiful idiot he is. He kind of really is. Because, like, so he finds Ariel, right? He's like, I'm looking everywhere. I can't find this girl. And, like, it's a day later. And, like, here she is, right? And she tries to talk. And then he's like, oh, shit, I can't, right? Like, her instinct is to talk. She says that she does know you. She's obviously been in some kind of shipwreck or accident. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like... You can't possibly be the girl from the other day if you can't talk. That's not you. This can't possibly be like a new disability following your shipwreck. Like, <laughs> what a beautiful idiot. I would immediately be like, did you used to be able to sing? And she'd be like, two thumbs up. It was me and you. I did the singing. And he'd be like, oh, I love you. Let's go get married today. And cool. Kiss. Let's go. Not. Bye. Game she over. Won yeah. Right then. I am going to, (laughs) I am going to hit the other low hanging fruit on this because it does involve Eric. Everybody always brings up why didn't Ariel just write stuff down for him? She can sign his name. I don't have an answer to it. Like if she can write, read the contract and write her name, why can't she write down? Like I'm that bitch from the other day. Like I lost my voice. But so, it was me. I love you. Does she not know that he's looking for that person? Is that maybe why she doesn't? That's what I was thinking is maybe he doesn't know or maybe she doesn't know that he's looking for him. And we're going to run into a lot of these. A lot of Disney Disney Renaissance movies do have weird plot holes. Yeah. Like they all have one that's just a little bit inexplicable. That's like, I think the most logical answer on this is that she doesn't know that he remembers her. Yeah, I think she would have to be like... I've actually never considered that, like literally until this moment, that like she has no way of knowing that he's looking for her. So what would she write down if she did write something to him? Like his interpretation of events is that he got washed up. Well, yeah, exactly. No one saved him. And you know what else just crossed my mind? hmm. This is in the height of like you know the 18th century right being able to read and write was not a a common thing 
Yeah, maybe your name, but maybe not. Right. Ariel's a princess. No, the two of them but should he doesn't both be know literate. That. Right. No, I understand that. But oh, maybe he it would not have been his thing. first fucking thought to be, hey, can you just write this down? Yeah, that's no, that's true. He probably doesn't have an expectation that she can read and write. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I do. I do love Eric in the third act. I love his acceptance of all of this. That he's yeah, he's just, like, just right yeah, here for fuck it. it. Um, perhaps the best character arc in the movie, though. King Triton. Mm-mm. What? I prefer that of the distinguished court. Oh yeah, the distinguished court composer. Court composer. Horatio Felonius Ignatius Crustaceus Sebastian you love is it. his full name. You absolutely love it. It's so great. I, it's so great. Also, I have to disagree with you right here, though. Your first comment is totally not true. He is not the funniest character in this movie. Scuttle, a thousand percent, is the funniest. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you Scuttle. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you Scuttle. He is pretty funny. I do a thousand percent love Sebastian. I... I don't know why, but every time he talks, he is just teenagers. You give them an inch and they swim all over you. I don't know why. He just, he fucking cracks me up. He is really funny. He's just not as funny as uh, Scuttle. He's a great character. And like, even though he's so popular, he's still wicked underrated. But his story on like on this rewatch was because this is one of those movies that I actually like watch occasionally, right? right? This isn't one of the Disney movies. And I'm like, yeah, I love this as a kid. And I haven't seen it in 15 years. Like, no, I've, I've like seen the little mermaid as an adult. Like it's, you know, but on this watch with more of a critical eye, Sebastian was the most interesting character for me mm-hmm. and his like journey as an ally to Ariel and just how he like, he sees Ariel's side of things like way sooner than Triton. And they have this like super awesome, trusting relationship. And he goes from this like total incredulity when he sees her closet, right? With all her stuff in it. And he's just like, shut up. Like he like finds this out about her and is like horrified, right? And he's like, no, we're not going to tell Triton that like you're in love with the wrong person, right? Like, and uh, and then he feels like so bad when he outs her to Triton by accident. Yeah, he does. He says, I didn't mean to tell. It was an accident. Yeah. And like, I watching that this time, I was just like, man, this is like such a it's it's kind of I mean, it's not X-Men direct, but it's close. Right. On like how much it's like a, a queer story. I feel like his uh, it's just and then he decides when he has that line about like, you know, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. He fucking commits. Like he is like ride or die for Ariel after that moment. Yeah. Like he has oh, this yeah. like watershed understanding of like how important this is to who she is. And that like this is who she is and this is who she's gonna be, and this is the body she wants to be in. And it's like, all right, we're gonna fucking make this happen. And he orchestrates kiss the girl, and he like does everything to make sure that she can win. And he doesn't leave her side, even though he's gonna be like straight murdered. Like Sebastian's incredible, right? Yeah, he is. He goes for help and to Triton for the help in the end, yeah. uh, which was awesome, right? Like, I love when he shows up with Triton right after Ariel gets pulled down from the boat. And yeah. it's like, oh, no, like, we have to deal with this situation, right? But, like, he definitely, definitely should have done that sooner. Like, yeah, definitely should have done that but- as soon as it seemed like they were going to lose. But he's Ariel's ride or die. He stays with her. 
even to go get help, he's just like, no, I'm not. Because he, as soon as the the wedding boat left without her on it, he should have been to go. Oh get yeah, her. dude, he should have been down there from the jump. But he's ride or die. He stays with Ariel. I he's kind of a real one. Like I'll give it to Flounder that he was like around, but Flounder was kind of like always trying to talk her out of shit. And maybe Flounder deserves more credit, right, for not having to evolve on the issue, right? Everybody's like already coming into their own about it, and <laughs> Flounder's like, "I've been here the whole time. What are you guys doing?" <laughs> I really think that's kind of what's happening here where maybe Flounder does deserve some more credit for not having had to like be convinced that uh, we could accept Ariel and her like her desires were valid. (laughs) (laughs) But in the end, um, you know, his story is is more compelling, right? Flounder's like the sidekick. Sebastian kind of like goes through something. And in the end, he is the one who helps Triton see it. Yeah. Right. I the Triton stuff then from here is like is kind of brief because I think we've hit on a lot of what's going on with him while talking yeah. about the other characters. Right. I think is where it boils down to it. But this is his his evolution story. His and Sebastian's. It I is. Like, and Sebastian's in more of the movie. He's he is he's the the court composer. He's still <laughs> the fun music. God, I love the way he just comes in and kisses the girl and is like, no, let me show y'all. Like, Can you guys shut the fuck up as a professional at work here, please? <laughs> but yeah, the big plot driver here is Triton and Ursula and their power struggle. Because like we said, when we talked about Ursula, that's ultimately the plan here. That's right. Like, Ursula's game, yeah. long game is is not, I want control over Ariel. It's, I will gain leverage over you and kidnap you basically and trade you. And why she doesn't just kidnap her, like the fact that Ursula does this legal is the cool thing about Ursula. Yeah. She doesn't just kidnap and extort for, cause she could do that. You could skip this whole middle thing. Oh, Ariel's she totally there. could. Yeah. There's nothing that stops her from playing dirty and just being like, Triton, I have your daughter. Give me the trident. But she doesn't, she does it with a contract and a plan <laughs> and a song. All the times that she cheats, but she's still like, I got to go through the legal system with getting this she's trident. Like- contract <laughs> law under the sea is some serious shit. We saw it protect against the trident. Shoot. <laughs> like, it's like she's, Ursula knows. Well, it shows like how smart she was to know, like, I can't just do this. Like Triton for how powerful as I am, like Triton could probably just fucking kill me. So like, I gotta, I gotta create some kind of shield for this. And I think that's like literally and figuratively. Well, yeah, exactly. Like because Triton also abides by under the sea contract law, right? Yes, he does. Like he doesn't be like "fuck you, bitch, fuck you" in your paperwork because yeah, she holds the thing up. But I'm confident that he could get around like in a battle and eventually. Oh, I'm sure he could. Yeah. So like, instead of doing it by force, he's like, "Okay, I'll be your like, I'll take over the contract responsibilities." Like what? I'll take on her student Holy shit. Yeah, dude. Basically, (laughs) I'll go ahead and be the co-signer on that. I'm going to take over that contract. (laughs) What? You're not just going to like, like one try to obliviate. uh, Yeah, like obliviator. I know. I'm like, obliterate. Thank you. I'm like, no, no, Lens. That's a Harry Potter spell. That's that's what it would have done, though. That's the spell he's using. That should have been. That should have been how it ended. Is he like wipes her memory of that? That would have been dope. Oh, right. Obliviates the memory spell, not the blow up spell. That was embarrassing. No, the blow up spell is reducto. Shit, you're right. What is happening right now? I don't even know. I don't know. I just had a stroke, I think. I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think the lesson with Triton here, though, which is, again, I think a good lesson. I think anybody who's out there being like, this is a bad movie for girls, I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like, (laughs) I. 
don't don't disagree with that. No, it shows like parental growth. Yeah. He actually gives her what she wants at the end. Yeah. Ariel never adjusts her expectations for what her life can be. Yeah. She's just like, you guys get on board with, with my reality and who I want to be. And Triton, I mean, build trusting, empathetic relationships with your kids, folks, like, or they'll go to the sea witch. Can we talk about how this is about to become a thing too, by the way, it happens with Jasmine. It happens with bell. It happens with, uh, Mulan. This is about to become a constant thing where they're kind of getting told no by their dads. Yeah. And they're actually the ones that are right. And what they wanted to do was what the right thing was the whole time. Belle's dad is like the chain, like the ball and chain on Belle's ankle. Like she's taking care of him. That's what it is. It's not that he's telling her no. It's like that she's just being held back by like feeling like she's responsible for him and being stuck in like it's the townspeople who don't accept Belle, right? I don't think that she necessarily needed to like marry the beast. But yeah, I think a lot of like the the just sort of gender role criticism in these movies from the early 2000s is much bullshit. That's what that's what I think. But anyway, yeah, Triton, yeah, learning about learning about being not a shitty dad. He's always yelling about something. He's always yelling about something in the TV show, too. He's, like, super pissed. I want to know all about his whole background um, way more. And yeah. that does kind of take us into the rumor requirement. Are we ready to? Let's go. Yeah, so let's talk about, let's talk about our hopes for the live action before we do fun facts. Yeah, go for it. Because this is where I like the things that we're missing, the things that I want filled in, like a lot about Triton, right? Yeah. I want to know where, the where this, are. like, where the people are. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see him dancing. Um, but I, I want more way, way more of his backstory and his backstory with Ursula and like how to, like, I wouldn't oh, mind yeah. like a flashback. Like, this is a short movie, man. We can, like, that's how it should I'm open s- is her getting yeah. removed, right? A Rasputin moment. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Or like, Bruh, far, for it not even right? being a fucking Disney movie, we reference Anastasia all the goddamn time. I know. I mean, it technically is a Disney movie now, but now it is, but that's a very hard technicality. It's yeah, a Don Bluth movie. It is. But yeah, I want way more of their backstory. I'm I'm really open in the live action for like a lot of plot additions. There's more things that are not necessary that I would take out than are things that like needed to be here that uh I could like, see what them would like you take out? Uh, La Poisson. Yeah, oh absolutely that whole sequence. Yeah. I think they could have anything that shows that Sebastian is like taking risks to yeah. stay with Ariel. We get and that dude, have, like he like, moved it. We relief. got it. Yeah. Yeah, they they could come up they can come up with whatever they want as long as it serves that story beat and I don't want it to be like what's on. But my non-negotiables though are part of the world under part of your world under the sea kiss the girl and the melody that Ariel sings when she loses and gains oh. her voice. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to fucking nope. do it for you. I'm not doing it either. But it you know that could get a little bit of a spin on it or something but as long as its core is there it's pretty basic, right? As long as those are all left intact. The most that I would want to see on any of those songs is maybe an added verse or two. Yeah. Maybe a couple of things have changed. Uh I'm here for added songs as well. Something else that I really want to see way more of is Sebastian being the court composer. Yeah, that they, would be I'm cool. I'm like lean all the way into that. I would like to see Training Sebastian the sisters and shit. Yeah, impromptu making music everywhere. 
Everywhere we go, Sebastian should sing multiple additional songs. I think they should replace Le Poisson with a better Sebastian song, and they should add a different, better, also great Sebastian song somewhere earlier in the movie. And I think Ursula should get another song. I would even be here for a longer timeline. I would be here for five days. Yep. Right? To make him love you for one month and we get like a montage because we get a montage even though it's only three days (laughs) it is yeah also how did she fucking jump that gorge how does she jump the gorge (laughs) i I hate being nitpicky about that shit but like yeah but i was like holy shit like but i i like what it did for their like (laughs) eric likes that she's kind of a crazy bitch right like the two of them are a little bit like insane yeah, they're crazy. They both are a little bit crazy. I yeah. can't wait to get like more time with them together. Uh, I can't wait to see. I'm just really excited. I just really love Little Mermaid. Like I thought a lot about this live action and how they could fuck it up. And I just don't really see like I feel like all the windows where they can like add plot as long as they do it in a way that makes sense are all good things I'd like to see. There's nothing I wouldn't like to see expanded a little bit. Like I want to get way more Eric and like his story and how come he has an Alfred instead of parents. Like Eric has zero parents. Yeah, there's no mention of parents. He is prince, yeah. but we don't know where the fuck the king and queen are. So those are my hopes for the live action. Hit me with some fun facts. Some fun facts? Sure, I can do that. Um, <clears throat> I already told you guys about uh, First Fairy Tale. However, this I didn't know when I was a kid, obviously. And you can't see it in the... I want to say you can't see it in the Disney Plus version, but in the original cut of the movie... When King Triton first enters the auditorium at the beginning of the film, you can see Donald, Goofy, Mickey, and Kermit the Frog amongst the Mer people in the crowd. Mm-hmm. I did kind of talk on it before, but Jody Benson, Christopher Daniel Barnes, Pat Carroll, and Samuel E. Wright all continued to voice their respective characters throughout the following years, several even opting to appear in the television show based on the original film. Uh, Jody Benson would receive her first full-time gig in Little Mermaid uh, after she had done a small role in Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. From here, however, it did snowball as Ariel forever. Uh, She portrayed Ariel continually from 1992 to 1994 on the Disney Channel original show, uh, as well as every single iteration of Ariel's appearance has always been Jodie Benson. Which is so crazy. That's got to be like unique to, to oh, yeah. Jody, right? Yeah, I can't. I genuinely, I think maybe the, I can't remember, I'm blanking on her name right now, but the actress that played Jasmine got replaced in the second Aladdin, but I believe she did come back for the third. However, this I did not know. Jody Benson also voiced Barbie in Toy Story 2 and 3, and Weebo the robot from Flubber and Lindsay's favorite animated movie. She was the voice of Thumbelina. In Thumbelina. <laughs> I, didn't know that. I didn't know about Thumbelina and I didn't know about Flubber, although I'm not convinced that matters. It doesn't. Um, it's Flubber. It's whatever. And then, uh, right, I'm like, I don't know that <laughs> yeah. that counts. <laughs> um, but I did know that about Toy Story, though, that she that she's the voice of Barbie. Yeah, um, that is really cool. She also yeah, did come Joey back Benson for Wreck-It Ralph. Awesome. Most notably, it was the last time she played Ariel was in Wreck-It Ralph 2 Breaks the Internet. <laughs> Which is a great scene, by the so way. So many people hate that scene, and Are I am not kidding one of them. me, dude. I it is Disney it. being aware of their fucking tropes. Get out! I think of that's here. what people hate about it is that it's this kind of like weak recalculation by Disney, which is it's a separate conversation, right? But yeah. like there, there are two sides to that issue as well. Like, is the meta acknowledgement of some of these issues with Disney princesses 
good or bad yeah or or does it matter i mostly think that it's funny especially because on closer inspection i don't have any feminist issues with the little mermaid and trust me folks i'm ready to have a feminist issue with whatever you put in front of me at the moment i am prepared to jump on it and eviscerate it and like i but i'm not this movie just doesn't hold up with what everybody accuses it of being there's nothing in the text to support any of the the criticisms of it. Um, and we'll see as we continue through the Renaissance. But I suspect that a lot of this stuff I'm not really going to have all that much of an issue with. And certainly I think they need a lot less course correcting here than like they really shitty attempt at it with Jasmine. My last little fun fact here. Um, I don't. I'm, everybody knows it is no fucking secret that Lindsay loves Spider-Man. I do. I love Spider-Man a lot. This is actually something that kind of blows my mind that I didn't fucking know about till I did this research. Christopher Daniel Barnes, who is the voice of Eric, who was 16 at the time of this movie being made. They were like, dude, this kid's voice is insanely awesome. We got to bring him in on this. Would actually go on to become much more famous than playing Prince Eric as he would go on to voice the titular web slinger himself in the 1990s hit animated show Spider-Man from 1994 to 1998. That's crazy. I did not know that. That's wild. It's fucking rad. Not only is this the move, the show that introduced me to Venom and ma- allowed me to fall in love with him, he has continued to portray Spider-Man in various video games and other media. But here's the little cherry on top. He also would go on to portray Greg Brady in the film adaptation of The Brady Bunch in both films. Like in live action. The live he action. He's Greg Brady, Brady. In, the, in the movies. Yeah. It's I sh- Greg in the movies, not played by Greg. Who's Greg in the TV show? Is it a different person? It's a complete, you've never seen the movies. The movies are like a fucking hilarious spoof on The Brady Bunch. No, I mean, I've seen. With Shelley Long and Gary Cole. Yeah, but they have like the original Marsha's no, in it. No, she's not. That's not the original Marsha. Uh, I'm looking. At okay, then right. we might be talking about two different things because there's definitely like a Brady Bunch movie that has like Carol Burnett and like it's the Brady Bunch. No, okay, I'm talking about the one that came out in 1995. No, I'm talking about like movies about the Brady Bunch that had the Brady Bunch in them. Like there are Brady Bunch movies with a staff. Yeah, with those that exist. No, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about okay. the 1995 remake called The Brady Bunch Movie. That was basically okay. a comedy about. It's the one that stars uh, what's her face, Ben Stiller's wife, as Marsha. Okay, I think I have seen that, but I'm thinking of like the actual Brady Bunch. Oh, anyway, it no, doesn't matter. The point crazy. is, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and Prince Eric is just ridiculously good looking, isn't he? He kind of is. Like he really is. Like. You know what it is? I think it's because we haven't really had, except for Prince Philip, we haven't really had any kind of close up on princes. Like, yeah, no, Eric got, there's a budget allocated yeah. to Prince Eric. He was looking fine. How old was he? Do we think that he was like Eric? also 16? Because that's maybe the other like where I'm like, why are we getting married? But I guess it's Prince 18 Eric is whatever. 18. They never say how old he is. Not in the movie, they don't. Ariel is specifically says that she is 16 when she's arguing with Triton. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eric's age is never known. child. Yeah. Well, why don't you, why don't you take us out of yeah, here? Let's let's get um, on out of here and tell us about five. No, you know what? I'm not going to get us out of here. What the fuck oh. are you doing? We've been doing this for two and a half hours, and you're skipping shit. What the fuck is your grade here? 
I can't believe it's been two and a half hours. This is the longest yeah, episode this is getting of this cut podcast. Down. This is <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is what um, happens when we talk about Lindsay's favorite shit, man. I know, huh? My favorite movie. <laughs> so that being the case, I'm sure you can guess uh, how I rated 11. this. All the numbers go up to 11. Always. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, this is my favorite Disney movie. It's my, it's my favorite movie, period. Like, wow. it's, I, this is your I'm sick. I want to watch this movie movie. Yeah. Awesome. Every time. Um, this is my like I can't I can't help it. I fucking love this movie movie. Um, and some of it's nostalgia and like that's okay. Like yeah. for instance, I would say that Moana is a technically a better movie, mostly due to the newer animation. Yeah. I think they're pretty much on par, like in terms of quality, but this one is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or the same as like I think like my other favorite movies are like Jurassic Park and Almost Famous. And these would be like my top Ooh, three. Almost like Famous that with Mermaid. Yes, it is. I would say Jurassic Park, Almost Famous, and Mermaid are my top three. But which one is the best? Jurassic Park. Which one is the my favorite? <laughs> the Little Mermaid. Guys, Jurassic right? Park is like right around the corner too. <laughs> I'm gonna be turning. Well, I'm gonna have to limit my 11s, but this one is a no question. Like it's a no brainer 11 for me. Um, and Ursula also gets an 11. Uh, she's incredible. Like every, I, this is my favorite movie. I love the little mermaid. I'll leave us with that. This is not my favorite Disney movie. Everybody knows that. Um, when I was a baby, it was, I constantly asked my aunt to rewind it, uh, after it finished. But as I got older, um, it's a tie now between sleeping beauty and Hercules. Hercules is good too. It's like a sleeper, like a great movie. Yeah. I still have to give this movie an 8.9 out of 10. I can't give it a nine because La Poisson really irritates me. Fair enough. It just like it. I don't know what it is, but it just takes me out of it. Dude. I also didn't talk about this in the beginning, but I love that the sailor that's explaining to Grimsby about Triton just fucking slaps him in the face with a fish. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, he's in the fathoms below. And the fish is just like, <laughs> like right in his face. Dude, Dude that shit was so funny. And I love Ursula. I Ursula is one of the best examples of a Disney villain who is evil for themselves. Maleficent mm-hmm. is evil for evil's sake. She is the embodiment of evil. That is why she is my favorite Disney villain. She There's no rhyme or reason for why she is. She just is. Ursula wanted and did live in a lap of luxury and was cast out and now wants vengeance for being removed from the life she herself believes she mm-hmm. deserves. She is also easily one of the most powerful Disney villains we've ever had or will ever have. And she actually, yeah, totally. for a moment in her in her movie, does succeed. She does actually get what she wants. Well, you know what's wild about her is that her plan, her first plan, works. Oh yeah, yeah. Everything like she, she just like says so she it's not. She's just like this is how we're gonna do it. And yeah, it works. There was no buzzer away. beater for this. This was we got to deal with the aftermath of her actual plan coming to fruition. The only thing that caused her to lose was the fact that she whoopsie dragged up that she ship pulled up from the under ship the and she was not paying attention to, to kill her. Yeah. yeah, like she like that's the only it's like her plan worked exactly as she expected. Yeah, absolutely. It, to. it was like it Crazy. was perfectly calculated. She Ozzy Mandy is that shit. If anybody's familiar yeah. with uh the Watchmen. 
Um, but yeah, I absolutely I love Ursula. She's a ten out of ten for me all day, every yep. day. Um, yep. but I'm gonna take us out of here now because we've been here, we've been with you guys for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as always, thank you all so much for joining us. We do hope that you enjoyed yourselves and definitely learned something. Uh, join us next week for the Rescuers Down Under season three and guys, the nineties. We're here. We finally made it. Oh my god. We finally did. Sorry, Zuko. I didn't mean to wake you up. Um, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as well as follow us on all of our social media. You can find the links to our sites and social media in the episode descriptions. If you'd like to support the podcast, we do very much encourage you to follow us on both Patreon and check out the website uh, where you can find all of our timeline goodies, past, present, and future. And until next time, guys, stay nerdy.